Iridesco, The Hermes Odyssey by Kitty Fisher. Episode 2, Nighthawks. The sky turned pink and colours saturated the horizon like a Polaroid. That day, all the pigeons had been in deep discussion. It had been agreed that the youngsters should head inland in search of food and report back if they found anything. With a peck on the cheek from Ma, they took to the sky and flew north. In Western Road, queues snaked around the corner of Waitrose and grimy sleeping bags and cardboard signs were stuffed into doorways. Dove noticed that the Scooby-Doo toy that resembled Simon Cowell was now wearing a tiny blue surgical mask. They climbed steadily, following the contour of the hill. The Regency Villas of Montpelier Road glowed in the evening light, their windows reflecting the sun. Fancy stained glass panels pictured birds nested in pomegranate trees and twisting vines. Iridesco marvelled at the beauty of his hometown. In the summer he sat high upon the balconies of Sussex Heights, or the stairwells of Embassy Court, gazing in at the groundlings that stood at their open windows, smoking and staring over the rooftops. Those individuals had often shared quiet moments with him, holding out morsels of food, or telling him about their hopes and dreams, as though he were a priest in a confessional. He thought of them now, holed up in their nests, unable to fly, and hoped that they would survive this strange plague. Ominously, an ambulance screamed down the road, disturbing his thoughts. At the top of the hill, the roads radiated out in a seven-pointed star. Tilting their wings in unison, the pigeons turned left and flapped steadily to keep airborne and gain height. After a mile or so, the road grew broader and the houses larger. The styles were mixed in this neighbourhood. An old Victorian mansion stood next to a glass-fronted cube. Italianate villas and state-of-the-art fortresses with electric gates jostled for attention. Behind the houses lay a patchwork of pools, hot tubs, horse boxes and sports cars. Every conceivable gadget was displayed for the pigeons' inspection. Core! exclaimed Lulu and Dolly. They'd never been beyond the densely packed streets of the city and marvelled at the views below. They were soon almost level with the houses, glancing through windows and remarking on the occupants gazing at huge flickering dream boxes or taking selfies, their skin plump and shiny like hot dogs on the pier. As though one thought had simultaneously dawned on them, the pigeons swooped down onto an ornamental cloud tree that stood by a pool house. Putting out their claws to land, they all skidded on the slippery plastic bark. Dolly clung to a cluster of leaves that snapped off with a strange plop and fell onto the surface of the pool. These ain't real trees, she remarked disgustedly. Where the bugs are nesting stuff? It was getting dark now and the light of the groundling nests shone out into the night. The interiors were spacious and clinical, like enormous hospital wards, but the people were much the same. Through every window, faces stared out, deep in thought. Soon, Dove and Dolly became distracted. A beautiful blue pool glowed in the centre of a lush lawn. In the water's depths, the tiles distorted, their lines wobbling as a generator buzzed in the darkness. The pigeons flew to the shadows of the pool house and sat on the roof, staring down in wonder. Dolly gave a playful wink at the others and plunged into the water, snatching a beakful and returning to squirt it into Lulu's face. Soon they were all at it. Exhausted and laughing, they lay shivering on the plastic lawn. We should really find somewhere to roost for the night, said Dove. Yeah, somewhere quiet, added Lulu, suddenly noticing the security cameras and dog houses. In the city, thousands of lights glowed in a sodium haze. They turned back to the dark strip of land that surrounded it and flew on, following white chalk pathways that snaked through the undergrowth. 
Soon they were on the South Downs Way, perched together on a wooden gate. Behind them, the city glowed orange like the last embers of a forest fire. Ahead, the ground fell away in almost complete darkness, and clusters of rooftops clumped between the patchwork of fields. None of them had any idea where they would sleep. Each looked for something familiar and safe, a broken pipe, a missing tile, or the scent of warm air from a groundling nest, but there was nothing. Then a faint whistling sound began. Within a fraction of a second it was a roar, a whirl of claws, beak, wings, and the hot stink of rotting flesh and furious snapping. Suddenly they were knocked forward and propelled into the air. They flew close together, tearing down the hillside. Not daring to look back, they instinctively shot under the eaves of a cottage, and without losing speed, ducked under the thatch. A piece of loose chicken wire snagged Dove's face, causing blood to pour from the gash. But there was no time to stop. The beak was only a feather's distance behind. It snapped at Dolly and she fell, flapping frantically. She tried to free herself from the powerful claws. The others could only stare as the hideous winged monster threw its head back and prepared to take a bite. Just then there was a scuffling sound, followed by a whine and a yelp. An elderly yellow dog lunged towards the commotion and the winged monster vanished into the darkness. Dolly flew up to join her friends and they huddled behind the thatch, trembling. The dog snuffled on the ground and then headed back to the open door of the house and they heard the door shut. Dolly, are you all right? asked Dove, her beautiful face red and sticky with blood. I think so. At that moment a head poked out of the hole in the thatch and called, Psst, get in here, it's not safe to be out at night. The young pigeons pushed through the hole and found themselves in an attic above a groundling nest. The space was cramped. On one side, spines of books formed a wall, and on the other, a dust sheet hung, half concealing the ruddy-faced groundling, staring out from the varnished canvas. The other sides of the roost were made of several small nesting areas, where straw and droppings carpeted the compartments, and each pigeon dozed comfortably, or curiously peered down at them. Thanks. No problem. That sounded a bit close. Are you hurt? asked the pigeon. He seemed to be a spokesman for the group. His friendly manner immediately put them at ease. As if to answer him, Dove collapsed in a heap and was helped to an empty nest box by her friends. Let her get some kip. I'll find you somewhere to sleep for the night. I'm Roger, by the way. The pigeons introduced themselves and hopped up the pile of books to a vacant space under the thatch. From behind them, a rumbling, scuttling sound could be heard. Don't worry about that. It's the mice stealing walnuts, said Roger. I say they do about 50 a night he added. I've got a small wager on it, so I'm studying the form. The young pigeons understood nothing of his easy banter, but they were safe for now. When they awoke, shafts of soft light lit specks of dust that drifted through the crowded sleeping area behind the thatch. Iridesco opened his eyes and noticed that on the other side of a pile of books, a huge attic stood almost 60 feet long and half as wide. It was low-pitched and the roof space was scattered with boxes. Dusty velvet curtains lay heaped on wicker baskets and an anatomical model of a groundling stood next to a lamp in the shape of a winged cherub. Its chubby legs raised slightly and its hands extended around the stem of a lamp. At the far end of the attic was a plaster saint with its hands clasped in prayer. A bundle of twigs and droppings balanced precariously on its head and a heavy-bodied snoring bird sat in the middle of the nest like an Edwardian hat. In every nook and cranny, Pigeons of all sizes and shapes dozed peacefully. As the temperature rose, the roof space became alive with the twitching of wings and beaks, 
pink and red scaly legs stretched out and amber eyes blinked as the sunlight warmed their feathers. Now five to one, that postman delivers a parcel today, Roger muttered to another bird. Well, the odds are lower since that box arrived yesterday. The two birds perched on a leather suitcase deep in conversation. Around them, the pigeons preened themselves and pecked out loose feathers. Some helped their friends clean their faces and necks, picking out mites and dust. Others scratched themselves and stretched, shaking out their plumage and cooing contentedly. Just then, a brawny wood pigeon soared down from the rafters, landing with a thud. He eyed Iridesco, tilting back his head so that his chest broadened, and he seemed to grow in stature. He remained expressionless, but he appeared to be evaluating the newcomers. You planning on staying long? He turned his head sideways, and his powerful neck muscles tensed slightly as he watched them. Iridesco was reluctant to answer. He had no idea where and when they were going, but he wasn't going to be pressurised. Dunno, he replied offhandedly. Outside, a clanging could be heard, and then the sound of seed being scattered. On hearing this, the other pigeons filed out of the hole in the thatch, jostling and flapping, sometimes pecking at their neighbours and making low guttural sounds to show their disapproval. The wood pigeon stood for a moment, his eyes fixed. Then he turned to join the others. Dove shuffled out of her roost. She looked a mess. Her beautiful face was scaly with dried blood, and one eye was half closed. Dolly was not much better. Her tail feathers were half missing, and one foot had been twisted back on itself. They stumbled out of their roosts, looking like a couple of prize fighters, and blinked, taking in the scene of the crowded attic. Despite their appearance, Lulu's face broke into a smile, and she flew over to her friends, just happy that they were alive. You better get yourself some grub, or there'll be none left, called Roger. Bet those buggers have had all the barley. The city pigeons joined the queue and were soon outside. A line of washing billowed in the breeze and an enormous bee buzzed close to the house. In shady areas, violets and wood anemones dotted the grass and an orchard of stumpy apple trees sprouted tiny leaves. The pigeons followed the crowd to a hexagonal dovecote that stood at the end of the lawn. Grain had been scattered on the platform at its base and sparrows, robins and finches joined the pigeons and doves searching for food. The dovecote was a beautiful building. The wooden shingles were coated with moss, and under the eaves, arched doorways led to warm, dry compartments that had been lined according to the occupants' tastes. Most had chosen sweet-smelling grasses, but downy feathers and dried herbs were woven in amongst the bedding, and some had added sprigs of fresh vetch and violets. The dovecote is generally preferred by the doves, pointed out Roger, somewhat unnecessarily. Although I bet some of those larger compartments would be nice in the summer. Of course, if you marry a dove, you can stay in the dovecote or the loft. Wheezing slightly, he pecked out some grains and barley and cast his eyes over the garden appreciatively. You don't do too badly here, he added. Stay as long as you like. There's usually a bit of entertainment in the evening, on account of groundlings. Through the window of the barn, the pigeons could see a music stand and a ukulele and guitar. Whilst not all pigeons are gifted musicians, they're naturally drawn to all forms of entertainment. Despite the difficulties of the night before, and the uncertainty that lay ahead, the youngsters felt a tingle of anticipation. Just then, the wood pigeon flew down onto the platform, knocking into Iridesco, his wings smacked into the wall of the dovecote, renewing the pain caused by the collision with the bus. Sorry, mate, didn't see you there, he smirked. 
Pecking on the surface of the platform, he quickly gathered morsels of peas and cracked corn and proceeded to place them into Dolly and Dove's beaks. They blushed and backed away, but he continued to feed them, laughing at their shyness. Seriously, this is great stuff for getting you back into shape. Relax, you're in the country now. They looked at each other and shrugged. Why not, eh? They needed to accept the help of strangers if they wanted to survive. Hey, Erie, should we take a look around? called Lulu. She was perched on the roof of the dovecote. By the time he'd flown up to join her, she was off, bombing down through the orchard and flapping her wings rhythmically until she was balanced on top of a gnarled oak tree. The view was breathtaking. The barn that they had slept in was one of a number of outbuildings that stood by a half-timbered farmhouse. The house itself seemed to grow organically out of the earth. Around it, a dry stone wall was overgrown with ivy. Beyond the wall, ewes and lambs barred amongst the primroses and cuckoo flowers. Wow, this place is wonderful, sighed Lulu, opening her beak to take in the sweet country air. Iridesco was still looking down at the dovecote, where Seth was now tossing corn into the air and catching it in his beak, as Dolly and Dove fluttered around him in delight. Are you even listening? she snapped. Yeah, right, he said. She sighed and lobbed a rotting acorn at his head. It met its mark and he slipped off of his perch before regaining his balance and casually settling down on the branch below, as though nothing had happened. What do you think about this evening entertainment? said Lulu. Could be a laugh, he replied noncommittally. Yeah, that's Seth's a bit of a character. Too showy for my taste, she added, trying to cheer him up. Hmm. Lulu was piqued. She had made an effort to show him support and this was all the thanks she got. Next time he needed her, he was on his own. Nice strong wings, though, she said slyly, and he's clever. For the rest of the day, Dolly and Dove were entertained by Seth, whilst Lulu kept the country birds spellbound with tall tales of life in the city. Iridesco soon forgot Seth's behaviour and started to enjoy Lulu's daft stories. She was clearly making it up as she went along, but the country doves and pigeons were swallowing the lot. Their eyes sparkled and their beaks opened in awe. So them seagulls didn't stand a chance. We just strutted up and took the lot. Of course, one of them was 15 times as big as a pigeon. And its beak, just horrible, all slimy. Jaws of death, the mouth of hell. She closed in on a group of young squabs, her eyes glimmering, and they gazed at her, transfixed. Inside the house, four groundlings gathered around their instruments and tuned up. As if responding to a cue, Pigeons shuffled closer to the edge of the platform, their heads cocked, each straining to make out the beat. Soon the farmhouse was just a dark shadow, and the sky glowed on the western horizon. The bees sought out places to shelter for the night, and as darkness fell upon the earth, the windows of the house radiated warm light and music carried out across the garden. Within minutes, the pigeons were tapping their feet and bobbing their heads. Soon, Dolly and Seth were wildly flapping about in time to the music. They leapt to the air and dodged each other before a quick flick of the tail sent them strutting along the platform and repeating the process again. By the time the sun had disappeared completely, the pigeons were pairing off. Old-timers shakily waltzed while the youngsters smooched in the shadowy corners of the dovecote. The moon rose up over the fields and settled above the farmhouse. Dove shuffled up next to Iridesco and picked up a piece of corn that she'd found on the floor. Moving into the shadowy entrance of one of the apartments, she turned, her beautiful beak parted and her eyes half-closed. Iridesco followed her. The scent of violets and meadow grass filled the air and a cool breeze drifted in. 
He shuffled up close behind her and felt her soft plumage like cashmere against his wing. The sweet smell of cracked corn was still on her breath, and despite the cut below her eyes, she looked beautiful. Moving closer, he touched her beak with his. Just then, black wings filled the sky, shutting out the moonlight. Huge beaks and claws glinted like coal, and the stench of rotting flesh permeated the air. A raucous voice cawed loudly at no one in particular. If music be the food of love, play on. Yeah, added another gormlessly. Roger pushed forward from the crowd, shaking his claw in fury. Oi, clear off, you upstart crow. The youngsters stepped forward, swaggering. What have we here, old timer, long of beak? His plumage grey and withered on his shank, and yet he dares to challenge those less meek. This night, methinks his words an ill-planned prank. Roger turned, cutting him off before he could continue. Don't start, or you'll regret that foolish talk. These claws, though they've seen better days, are strong. Now shut your foolish beak and cease to gawk. You know you crows are clearly in the wrong. So carry on like that, and I will do. A bit of Chinese boxing and kung fu. What are they on about? shouted Dove, exasperated at the sudden change of mood. It had all been going so well. The crow turned his head towards her and responded somewhat cryptically. I will withdraw, but this intrusion shall, now seeming sweet, convert to bitterest gall. With a final stare at Roger, he jerked his head back and flew into the darkness. Nervously, the pigeons resumed their party. Outside the dovecote, Lulu sat sniggering and joking with two wood pigeons. She was still telling stories and jokes long after all the other birds had retired for the night. Occasionally, the elders muttered disapprovingly or tapped their beaks on the walls. Lulu tried to suppress her chatter by holding her beak under her wing, but the muffled sniggers escaped into the night. Stepping out of his sleeping compartment, Iridesco walked past Lulu on his way to get a drink. "'You having fun?' he said as casually as he could. Lulu pretended that she hadn't heard him and leant in towards one of the wood pigeons, as though he was saying something particularly interesting. Iridesco stopped for a second and changed his mind. Just then, Duff called out to him. Iri, can you get me a beak full of water? The lights in the farmhouse turned off one by one, and the pigeons made their way to their beds. As Duff slept peacefully under Iridesco's wing, he gazed out at the moon. Wearily, Lulu made her way up to the loft and perched alone amongst the books and dusty cloths. With a sigh, she put her face under her wing and went to sleep. Thank you for listening. Iridesco, The Homes Odyssey, is written and narrated by Kitty Fisher with music from the Big Fish. For more information and a full list of credits, please click on the link below.